Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to the second part of our series, The Blessed Life. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. Last week, we began our series with the words of Jesus, and uh, I figure, why not stay with the words of Jesus? This is Luke chapter 16 today, and Jesus has just told a parable And right now, he's given us the principle of the parable. So we're skipping the parable, going straight to the principle. Luke 16 says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. So if you've been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you? If you haven't been trustworthy, we should say, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? For no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. I want to give our title today, uh, and it begins by uh, two words that are the favorite words of any toddler. It's mine. But the message is called, It's Mine to Manage. It's Mine to Manage. You guys can take a seat this morning. Can we clap our hands one more time? So glad uh, you could be here today. My name is Harrison, if you do not know, and we're just honored that you took the time to be here. Uh, So I want to begin by telling a story. Last uh, summer, something unfortunate happened. I had to get a new phone. And the reason I had to get a new phone is because, unfortunately, someone threw my old phone in the washing machine and it did an entire cycle. I would never uh, tell you that it was my mother in law, but someone threw my phone into a laundry machine. And so, nevertheless, I had to get uh, a new phone. And anyone that knows anything about me uh, knows I'm always looking to get the best deal possible. That's just how I roll. Um, But I haven't got a new phone in a few years, and um, something has shifted, I think, in the phone landscape. And you can let me know uh, if I'm off on this. But there came a time, or there was a time, I should say, when if you were getting a new phone, uh, specifically if your contract was up, a lot of times they would give you the phone for free as long as you locked into the contract. Uh, but this last summer, my contract was up, and so it was okay that my phone was done away with. But as I was trying to get on a new contract, I could not get a phone for free. Like, I was calling everyone, like, who has a free phone? I'll come with you. Didn't happen. So the best that I got was what was called the bring it back plan. Anyone heard of the bring it back plan? So essentially, it's this. I pay a small fee in relative to what the phone actually costs uh, to have said phone. And after the end of the two years, you do exactly as the plan sounds. You have to bring it back. Now, uh, what's interesting about the bring it back plan is the mental aspect of it. And what I mean by that is this. Um, Until I began working on this message and thinking about this illustration... I had completely forgotten that I was on the bring it back plan. I just kind of assumed like this phone is 100% mine. 
because I take it with me everywhere I go. I throw it on my bed. I throw it on the couch. I take it everywhere. Come on, somebody. Sometimes my kids are stepping on it. Sometimes they're throwing it. And normally, it's kind of like, well, it's not a big deal because the phone is mine. The only issue is, with the bring it back plan, is the phone isn't actually mine. Like it's mine, but there's gonna come a day in about a year and a half or so when I'm gonna have to go to TELUS and give an account for my phone. And if it's cracked, if it's dinged up, guess what? I'm gonna have to pay. So the phone really isn't mine, it's just mine to manage. Are you guys ready to go this morning? Because I'm already, I'm already preaching. Like, it's, it's not actually mine. And so what I want to do today is I want to continue our series that we're in called The Blessed Life. Can you make some noise? Anyone heard the first part of this series in person, online? Come on. So glad you're with us today. Uh, this series, if I could give it one word, it's all about stewardship. Like, how do we handle, manage, control all of the things that God has given us, our time, our talent, but very specifically, our treasures. I told you guys I was a little bit easier last week, but I'm going full board this week when it comes to our money. How do we manage that which God has given us? And one of the things that we have said, I just believe this, when we steward well, in other words, when we follow Jesus well, you will be blessed. And last week, we looked at a stewardship principle called the principle of first. You guys remember this? It was pretty simple. We said this. When we give God our first or the first, he blesses the rest. Right? Give him the first of our finances, he blesses the rest. First of our time, blesses the rest, so on and so forth. And so if you missed it, go check it out. I'm going even deeper today. Um, and, And really, if you're watching this online, like, Message one and two in this series could kind of interchange. I don't necessarily think there's a better one to go first. But I want to start um, or at least speak today on another principle of stewardship uh, that I want to call the principle of ownership. The principle of ownership. Now, the principle of ownership is really simple. It's just simply knowing who is in charge. Super, super simple principle. Who is in charge? Now, The reality is, for most of us, we live in a way where we are in charge. Whether consciously or subconsciously, we believe everything I have, my job, my house, my kids, my spouse, everything is mine. And even if we're like really spiritual people, like, no, Harrison, I know it all belongs to the Lord. A lot of us, if we're being truly honest, we live in such a way where although we may subconsciously know that like, Okay, God reigns above it all. But truly, we live in a way where everything is ours. If I would say it like this, a lot of us are control freaks. Anyone a control freak in the room today? A few people? Now, what's interesting is I think there are actually two types of control freaks. Now, the first one is like the classic, like, you're okay to, like, admit this because there's some really good qualities in here. It's the type A personality, right? It's like I have my schedule all lined up, every meeting, every dollar, everything in my life is accounted for. I know exactly what's happening. Nothing happens under my nose that I don't know about. That's like, that's like the type A control person that struggles with control. But the second one, and this one 
is hidden more, and a lot of people don't actually know that they're control freaks when they live this way, but the second type of control freak is what I would call the classic underachiever. And the prototypical underachiever is this. They live in such a way where everyone around them believes certain things about them. Well, they're just not organized, they're lazy, they have no drive, they don't care about anything. But what I want to suggest today is that a lot of people that we would classify as underachievers, whether they know it or not, they're actually just control freaks. And the reason being is this, they live in such a way where they never put their full effort into anything. And the reason they do that is because subconsciously and or consciously, they have this belief that if I never try my hardest, I can never actually fail. If I don't give it my all, I can always justify, well, I didn't really fail, I just didn't try. And whether they know it or not, they're actually trying to grasp at a level of control. And the type A and the underachiever are closer than they know in personality and in struggle. Both of these people, I want us to understand this, struggle to allow God margin to work in their lives, let alone bless us. You may have never thought of this before, but a lot of us live our lives with no margin for God to bless us. There's simply no room because everything is under my control. And so today what I want to do is I want to talk about this principle of ownership, help us understand it, and show us what this looks like practically. Can I do that? Okay, so Luke chapter 16. Again, I told you uh, there's a parable that Jesus tells. We're, we're going to kind of look at the beginning of it and then just skip to the explanation. If you want to read it, it's Luke 16. It's called the parable of the shrewd uh, manager. But it starts like this. Verse 1, it says, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account for your management because you cannot be a manager any longer. So I want to take two things from this. Number one, uh, I want to talk about position. Position. So we have two characters in this parable. Pretty simple. There's the rich man. Now the rich man or the owner, he represents God and or Jesus in this parable, right? The owner is God. God owns everything. The second character in this parable is the manager. Now a manager, pretty simple, is someone that works on behalf of the owner and manages all that is his. In this parable, you and I, we are the manager. And so this parable, much like life, is pretty simple. God is the owner. We are the managers. And as the owner, God gives the managers authority to take and to use all that he gives us for his purposes. Now, here's where I want to begin as we talk about this principle of, uh, of ownership. Pretty simple. The principle of ownership begins by us knowing our position. We have to know our position because if we don't know where we stand, if we don't know who we are, our lives will be complete and total chaos. This is a principle that anyone that has ever played team sports will know. You can be an amazing athlete, 
But if you don't understand something as simple as positions, it's always going to be chaos, right? No matter what sport it is, soccer, hockey, basketball, the list goes on. If you're out of position, it doesn't really matter how great you are. And so this is true in sports as it is in life, especially when it comes to how we relate to God. If we don't know our position, we won't have peace. So when it comes to what we have, we can have lots of resources. I can have lots of money. Like the issue isn't if I have too much or too little. It's do I know where I stand in relation to God? And so I can have all that I need. Even further, I can have all that I want. But if I'm out of position, I'll never actually have peace. And that's why I'm seeing across the board, there's this almost epidemic of people, especially in Canada, being dissatisfied with their work. Because for a lot of them, they've put work in the wrong position. And so you're never going to be satisfied. And so the idea in this is that peace and contentment aren't based on possessions, but based on position. So if I know where I stand, that'll give me more peace than actually having all I think that I need. So the question is this, where do I stand? Pretty simple. God reigns above it all. He is the owner. I'm, at best, the manager. Hebrews chapter 2 says, everything belongs to God. And all things were created by his power. So this is a simple truth, especially if you would classify yourself as a Christian here today. God reigns above it all. Everything is his. Everything that you see on this earth belongs to him. You and I, we are his. Everything we have is only because of him. It is only because of his grace, only because of his mercy. Now, where this becomes a tough pill to swallow is that we are the ones that wake up every single day. Like, we are the ones that go work that nine to five. We are the ones that have studied for years to get that degree. We are the ones that pay the bills, that manage the finances, make the budgets. And so it's really easy then to deceive ourselves into believing we are in charge. But I want to do a very simple thought experiment, and it's simply this. You can, I know you do all of those things, but who actually wakes you up every single day? Like your, your mind, because for a lot of us, that's our greatest asset. Who actually gave you your mind? Who gave you the ability to think? Who gave you the ability to see things the way that you see things? And I could continue to deconstruct, but the point I want us to understand is that as much as we do, God is still in charge. Everything I have, it is only by his grace. The Bible says the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be his name. And so everything I have is only as a result of him. Meaning, it's mine, but it's just mine to manage. I was, I have, we have um, twin girls, three years old, and as I said off the start, uh, every toddler's favorite words are like, it's mine, it's mine. And so I was upstairs a couple um, days ago, and uh, I could hear my, my girls kind of yelling at each other back and forth, like, it's mine. The other one said, it's mine. And so I'm upstairs, uh, and I think like they're probably arguing over a toy. But I look over the ledge of the banister, and I can see into the living room. Uh, and as the girls are going back and forth, the thing that they're arguing over um, was our big sectional couch <laughs> that we have in the living room saying, it's mine, it's mine. Um, 
And I looked over the banister, and you know what? Want to know what I said in my head? I said, no, it's mine. <laughs> like, that's my coach that you guys are arguing over. And I just had this picture that I wonder how many times we're so worried about finances. God is saying, listen, it's mine. It's all his. We have a job just to manage it. And ultimately, this is good news. Because if everything is his, that means everything flows from him. And for those of us that are chronic worriers, always wondering, will I have enough? Will I have more? This is great news because you aren't ultimately the one that controls the flow. God does, not me. Everything is his to give. It's also his to take. Now, here's what I want us to understand. I think that spirituality and practicality are connected. I actually don't think there's impractical spirituality. I think all spirituality is practical. Some is obvious and some not so obvious, but it always is. And so what I mean by that is this. When I say that God controls it all, I want us to understand something. God is Father. And so as a good father, and us as his children, he controls everything and the flow. And so when I say spirituality and practicality are connected, what I mean is this. A lot of times we can look at it and get really spiritual, like God is Father. And so he is going to give you everything that you could ever want, baby girl. Like, you're going to be okay. But I want us to understand something. As children, if we don't manage well that which we have, that ultimately came from God in the first place, why would God give us more? And, and, and as a parent, that's not love to give you more when you can't manage it. That's stupidity. And God isn't stupid. And so God gives to those who steward well. So I want us to understand that principle uh, as we go into this parable and take some things out now. So again, we have the owner and uh, the manager. Luke 16, again, so God who's the owner, he calls him in and he says, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management. So this is really important because we don't often think this way. But there is going to come a day where ultimately and inevitably we are going to give an account before God in terms of how we stewarded our lives. And, and I say this as a pastor who loves you, who wants you to understand the implications of how you live right now. There will come a day when you will give an account before a holy God and he will ask you, what did you do with what I gave you? You see, I've been, I've been blessed um, in my life. God has blessed me. I have, you know, the, the, the privilege to lead this church, and I have the privilege to lead um, our family, my wife, and our three kids, soon to be four kids. Come on, somebody. And in some sense, when it comes to God's hierarchy of power and of leadership, um, you could say, like, I'm, I'm a leader, right? Like, I'm, I'm just a leader, and God has blessed me as such. And what happens with position and leadership is that it can really easily begin to get to your head. 
right? Because like, especially maybe some of you guys run a company, right? Like when you're the boss, when you're the CEO, like you're the top, right? And again, I have many positions in my life where I have this level of authority. But one thing that keeps me humble is understanding that in some sense, God has almost given me unlimited authority here on earth. And that's, that's for all of us. We have unlimited authority. And what I mean by that is this. You can do whatever you want to do. Just so you know that. You, you can do whatever. You, we have unlimited authority. Now, not everything is good. Don't misunderstand me. Most of us actually know that we have unlimited authority. But what we don't realize is that it's indefinite. It's not indefinite, I should say. It's definite. It's finite. And so this authority that you have on earth that allows you to make decisions, that allows some of us to lead in certain capacities, it is only temporary. And there will come a time, much like this parable, where the owner will come back and he'll say so simply, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with the positions I gave you? Now the reason that I talk about teaching and leading is like this is a privilege But one thing that scripture says, and it's a very humbling verse, he says, not many of you guys should be teachers because you'll be judged more harshly, right? And so I must give an account to God one day, and all of us at some point will give an account to a holy God. How did you steward my money? How did you steward my kids? And I love that thought. My kids aren't actually my own. They're his kids. I'm just stewarding them. And one day God's going to ask, how did you steward my kids? And I'll have to give an answer for that. And so Jesus gives us some advice and some practicalities when it comes to stewardship. And so that was kind of like this overarching principle. We're going to give an account to God one day. He is in charge. Um, So here's some principles for how we can hopefully give a good report to a holy God. Luke 16, verse 10, it says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? So, I want to talk about what I call the law of increasing returns. The law of increasing returns. Now, this principle is simple. And I believe this principle is a spiritual principle, but there's also like a natural principle, that this works without God. Like your friend, atheist Andy, skeptical Sally, like these principles work for them as well. They don't need God. But I'm going to show us the kingdom principle and the natural principle, but it's both this. When we steward well, we will have more. That's common sense. When we steward well, we will have more, right? That's true with God. That's true without God. Here's the issue. Most people don't steward well. And I don't have the breakdown of Christian versus non-Christian, but I've been in church long enough to know there are Christians that don't steward well, and there are non-Christians that don't steward well. If you don't believe me, can I share some statistics with you guys? This is in Canada. Um, It is believed that between 60 on the low end and 80% on the high end live paycheck to paycheck. Now, what it means to live paycheck to paycheck is simply this. If you missed a paycheck, like one paycheck, 
you literally could not afford to pay your bills. Like you'd be hooped, you'd be done. Now, I want you to hear me for a second because I do believe this to be true. I believe that there are people that steward well, that save well, and that live wisely, that live paycheck to paycheck. However, and, and hear me, that is a very small percentage. The vast majority of people that live paycheck to paycheck, the reason they do so is because they are living above their means. In other words, they're spending more than they actually make. Now, I don't say this without statistics, but this is in Canada, again, 60% of people admit that they buy things they can't afford. Whether it's on credit, I'm assuming it's on credit, 60%, 60%, and so what did we say? It said 60% of the low end live paycheck to paycheck. Well, at the same time, 60% of people admit they buy things they simply can't afford. Now, to save all of us, I didn't share the Alberta statistics, but Alberta, in comparison to Canada, is actually worse. You want to know why? Because we love our trucks here. Got to get my Ford on credit. Come on, somebody. And so in, in Alberta, it's even worse. We have a margin issue. We're living above our means. And the issue is this. We live in Canada, which is one of the most affluent places in the country. In fact, not even just in terms of the ability to create finance, but even the social assist programs we have. We get money from the government, so on and so forth. And so primarily, what I'm saying is this. Our issue isn't that we need more money. Our issue is that we need to learn to steward better. That's for the Christian and for the non-Christian alike. But here's where it switches. Because for the Christian, for the follower of Jesus, we look at money a little bit different. Because for the non-believer, maybe they look at it as essential, that which is needed, that which makes the world go, so on and so forth. Here's the kingdom principle for followers of Jesus when it comes to money. Money is simply a test. Money is a test. Look what it says. Again, going back, it says, whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. Now again, as I already referenced, when it comes to us hoping and believing God will give us more, if we can't handle the little, why would God give us more? Now, I want us to understand, it's not a pass-fail thing. It's like, I'm failing the test. I'm failing the money test. No, it's a matter of who do you serve? Who are you going to put first? And the truth is, inevitably, when we steward well, God doesn't want to just give you more money. God wants to give us more of what actually matters. And that's why it's a test. Look what he says. He says, so, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, Who will trust you with true riches? This is important. God's ultimate desire is not to give you worldly riches. I want to say this boldly, as I've said it before. God wants to bless you. But the ultimate way in which he wants to bless you is not through worldly riches. Now, does God bless us times through worldly riches? You better believe it. I'm not going to sit here and tell us otherwise. But ultimately, God has something more. 
And so what this is telling us, though, is that how we handle our worldly wealth many times correlates to the spiritual blessings that God wants to give us. God wants to give us more than money. He wants to give us authority. God wants to open up doors of opportunity, of influence, of places that you could not have imagined that you would go through, and and things that are just so much greater than money, salvation. God wants you to be leading people, not just me, not just some of us. God wants us to be leading people to his throne. But if you can't handle worldly wealth, why do you think God would trust you with something so much more important like people? So it's, it's a stewardship principle where natural principles, like money is natural. If I can naturally steward that well, I will unlock spiritual blessings. That's what he's saying. It's not about getting more or having more. It's about stewarding better. And so how do I steward better? Well, I think that scripture gives us natural principles in order to do that. Now, I talked about this last week. I'm going to talk about it again today. When it comes to our money, we give God the first. He blesses the rest. So one of the natural principles of stewardship is the principle of first. So to tithe, talked about this last week. Here's the principle. You want to be steward better, save better, begin to tithe. What is tithing? It is to give the first 10% of your income to the Lord. Now, you might be sitting there saying, how the heck does giving away help me steward better? Look what Malachi chapter 3 says. Malachi 3 verse 8, it says, will a mere mortal rob God? If you've got a paper Bible, highlight that. Because it should stick out the page. Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes? And offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole, someone shout whole. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. So God has this charge against Israel that they are not giving that which God has required. Now, he says, bring the whole tithe, right, the whole 10% to the storehouse. Now, in our context, the storehouse will be the church, right? The storehouse in their context where the food was held, that it could be distributed. Now, for us as Christians in the church, we distribute two things. We literally do distribute real food, but we also distribute spiritual food. So if you didn't know this, the primary reason we give to the church is to continue the work of ministry. That's the primary reason that we give is so that there is spiritual food in this house. Like, God is doing amazing things at Kingdom Church. Come on, somebody. Like, people are finding hope and healing. Like, last week, if you guys were here, Anthony family, the entire family was baptized, which was just, come on, a highlight of our church. We've already had nine people make the commitment to give their lives to Jesus publicly via baptism, and there's been more private decisions as well in their heart. But the only reason we're able to provide a a space to do that is because people give to the church, because people give to the storehouse that there may be food. 
Listen, when we come here right now, we are eating spiritual food. God is giving us manna from heaven. Now, I want to say this because a lot of times I hear this so often when it comes to why we give to the church. And it's like, well, we give so we can do outreach and we can feed the homeless and we can, can support this and support that. I want you to understand something. As a church, we give every single month to the Santa Barbara Food Bank, if you didn't know this. Every month, write them a check. And we're just so thankful to do that because people are struggling in St. Albert. Every single month, we go and we feed the homeless. Guess what? Next Saturday, 12 o'clock, right here at the church, you can come serve. It's an amazing time if you haven't done it before. Come put meals together. Every month we do that. We support Operation Mobilization, which allows the gospel to be spread to all these nations. We, we give money to plant churches. Like we, we give stuff away is what I'm saying. But the primary reason that we actually give and take an offering is that there may be food in this house spiritual food, that the gospel can be proclaimed in St. Albert. That is what God has called us to do. And so, in Malachi 3, God's charge is that the people are robbing God. How are they robbing him? By not bringing the whole tithe. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, how can I rob God? Like, he's God. Like, can I actually, like, hold him at gunpoint? Like, what, is that, what does that even mean? Can you actually take money from God? No. Everything belongs to him already. So I can't rob the one that owns everything. But look what it says that we are robbing him of. Again, verse 10, he says, bring the whole tithe, that there may be food. Then he says, test me in this. Again, Write this down, like underline this. God says, test me in this. You will not find God telling you in Scripture to test him. But right here he says, test me in this and see, will I not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it? So listen, what are you robbing God of? You're robbing God the ability to bless you. That's all it is. When I withhold, I'm taking away God's ability to bless me. God is literally saying, I want to bless you. Why? Because he's our father. And like any good father, he wants to give us that which is good. But the principle of increasing, uh, what did I call it, rewards? Returns. There we go. I have to scroll back here. Thanks, Jake. Taking notes over there. The principle of increasing returns says when I steward well, I'll get more. God will bless more. And so when I don't steward well, God, it's not that he's withholding blessings. We're just not ready to steward those blessings. And so they won't become a blessing. They'll become a curse. And so he's literally saying the, the beginning of the stewardship principle, how do I steward well? He says, begin to tithe. Bring the whole tithe to the church. Listen, God doesn't want to curse you. He wants to bless you. That's just, that's just, that's just the truth. And when we act in obedience, then he blesses us. Obedience is always the, pre the precedence to blessings. Now, so practical principle. Again, weird, like Harrison, how do I steward well? Tithe first. I'm saying it boldly. You want to be a good steward, give to the Lord first. It might seem counterculture, it might seem weird, but God has this way of doing more with less than we could do with more. 
And I, I'm not sitting here saying Harrison says test you in this. I'm saying scripture says test me in this. But that's just one principle. I want to give us another. This one's important. First Timothy chapter 5. Paul says, give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith. And if you're taking notes and is worse, underline this one, than an unbeliever. This is a harsh charge that Paul is giving specifically to the men. But again, this would be to whoever is in charge of providing for the household. He says the one who doesn't provide for their own family doesn't say that they're acting wrong, doesn't say that they're like not being nice. He says they're worse than an unbeliever because there's nothing spiritual about not providing for those in whom God has called you to provide for. Again, it's this principle of increasing returns. If I can't steward my family well, why would God give us more? And so, it's a strong warning, but I want you to hear this. And so what would this look like? It's paying your bills, right? Paying for, for, for the necessities of life, so on and so forth. And so a lot of people see this, and it's like, okay, i got to provide for my family. That's why I can't give to the Lord. But this charge doesn't change up God's order. It's still... Give to me first. But you also better provide for your family. And so I want you to hear this. If you can't support your family, like, should I stop giving to the Lord? I mean, number one, that's between you and God. But what I would say is that perhaps the solution is to steward better. Are there things in your life that you don't need. This might sound crazy, but you might not need Netflix and Disney+. Plus. Like the family might be able to survive with, with one or the other. Like listen, Starbucks, I know like that little, whatever that girl is on the cup, I know she's tempted. <laughs> but go to Costco, get the big bag of beans for $20, it lasts you for a month, and you're already saving. You guys see what I'm saying? So what happens is, though, we think that we have to cut things out. But we cut, you do have to cut things out, but we often cut out the wrong things. We cut out the wrong things. But ultimately, and, and, and listen to me, as I'm speaking, do not trust me, do not put your trust in me, put your trust in Jesus. He is the one that has given us this order. And I believe that he is the one when you honor him, he will honor you. I want to kind of describe it like this. Is there someone that has like $50 they can give me right now? Come on, Christian. Ready to go. Come up here. Come up here. Can I have 50 bucks? Yes. This is mine? Yes. Can I have it? Yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay, I want to ask you a question, Christian. Okay. Was that hard to give me that 50 bucks? No. How come it wasn't hard? Because it was yours. <laughs> That's good. Because <laughs> it was mine. This morning, I gave her 50 bucks. And I said, when I call, give it to me. But did you guys hear that? Why was it easy? Because it wasn't hers. 
Stay up for a second. You know why we can give to the Lord? It's not mine. It's already his. You understand? So Christiane, because, okay, stay up for a second. Because you're faithful, I'm going to give you this, but I'm also going to give you this. It's yours. Bless someone with that. Take a seat. Give Christiane a big round of applause. So I just, I just want us to tangibly see and to tangibly understand when nothing is mine, it's a whole lot easier to steward. Do you guys understand? When I understand, because what I want us to do in this series is I want us to move from close-handedness to open-handedness. To say, listen, nothing I have is mine. And if ultimately everything I have is his, the well is never going to run dry. And when I honor God, God will honor me. That's just how his currency works. And so he finishes, and Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. He says, either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So the question is this, really at the end of the day, is who do we want to serve? He says, you cannot serve God and it's one or the other. You see, the irony is this, going back to this idea about control. A lot of the times when we seize control, we think it's because like, I wanna be in charge, I wanna be the one that's, you know, serving essentially myself. But the ultimate irony is that you and I were created to serve. And the one thing that we can't serve is ourselves. And so what happens is in that, that pursuit of inwardness, we end up grasping onto something and making it God. Whether it's money, whether it's work, whether it's a job. And we end up in this constant chase of more of peace and contentment. And we miss the fact that there's someone that is literally saying, I'll be in charge of your life. I'll be provider. I'll be protector. But do you trust me? The blessed life comes down to one thing. It's just trust. Do we trust that God's stewardship principles are that which is best? Do we trust that he would only give that which is good to his kids? So can we stand for a second, church? I want to just make this appeal. Today, let's put Jesus first. Let's serve his ways, his principles, his precepts. And so if there's someone here today, you've been serving other things, going your way, and you've been struggling to make that step to, to put Jesus as Lord and Savior. Can I make an appeal today to put your faith in Jesus? Maybe it's for the first time. Maybe it's a recommitment. But right now, every head bowed, every eye closed. If there's someone today saying, like, I'm just, I've been struggling with, with, with trust. I have so much fear. What is this going to look like if I put God first? But today, if that's, if that's you, can you show me your hand? I would love to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, 
You know our hearts. You know the things that compete for our attention. And so, Jesus, I just pray today that we can make that decision, that commitment to follow you. Lord, for some of us, it's a hand. It's that raised hand saying, I'm I'm just going to follow you, Jesus. For some of us, it's an action step. God, you know what that action step is. Maybe for some of us, it's giving more or beginning to give. For some of us, it's applying ourselves. It's stepping out of that control and saying, I'm not worried about failing. I'm going to step out. God, for some of us, it's sin. There are sins in the way. as a barrier between the, the blessing that you have for us, God. May we choose you today and turn our backs on the things that have separated us from you. So God, I pray a blessing over every person that hears these words, every person in this place. God, that they may experience the blessed life you have for them. So Holy Spirit, give the most practical action step to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's clap our hands. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to that message. If you made a decision to follow Jesus or you want more information about our church, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to get in contact with you. Until next time, take care.